Welcome to the Dylan Experience. Today is episode 57, and I've got another special guest for you today. But before we get to that, make sure you like, subscribe, follow, do whatever you need to do to stay in touch with the podcast. And let's get to our guest. My next guest is a professional speaker with a story to tell. The core of his message started with the unfortunate loss of two of his brothers, 11 years apart due to suicide. He was speaking or has been speaking publicly since about 2010 to, his, to include his very own TED Talk, Dying Alone. He continues to share his discussions around the world to advocate for suicide prevention and mental health support. My guest today is Dennis Gillen. Dennis, how are you? Dylan, thank you for having me. And I, I would love to, I told you, I, I'd love to have a kid named Dylan because it'd be Dylan Gillen. I thought that'd be awesome. <laughs> but thank you for, thank you for all that you do. And thank you for bringing me on to talk about, you know, suicide, suicide prevention, mental health is where we're heading, uh, go upstream. And, and thank you for sharing your story and living out loud as you do online and all the stuff you do. Absolutely. I, we, we have remarkably similar messages, I imagine. You know, I, and so, you know, it just, it just seems, it seems like we could probably have quite an interesting discussion at this point in, in both of our lives and both of our work. So I, I, I couldn't see any other way of, of getting around this. We got to have, we got to have a discussion. So Dennis, why don't you start with kind of giving your version of your story? Tell me how you got here. Why are you doing what you're doing now? Um, you know, give me all the details that you want. You've got all the time in the world. All right. Everybody put your seatbelt on. It takes me four hours to get this out. No, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> like everybody out there, everyone has a story to tell. Everybody, Dylan, yourself, myself, everyone listening. Uh, unfortunately, my story is one I, I wouldn't wish on the devil himself. Uh, I'm one of five kids. You know, I was a junior in college. I thought everything was great. And that's a time, of, you know, I was thinking about it. That's a time of my life where everything was about me. I'm 20 years old. Me, 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 me. Everything's me. You know, now I'm, I'm 58 and it's about others. And this, this, this calling I have. But back then it was all about Dennis. And Dennis was having a good time at college. And uh, my junior year, the phone rang. It was October 26th, 1983. It's one of those dates you'll never forget. You know, where were you then? And my younger sister, Janice, was on the phone saying, Dennis, you need to come home. Mark died in a car accident. Now, that's what they told me. You know, and I was in, at the time, I was studying accounting, and I did finish the accounting degree. I'm now a mental health advocate, but this is how it, this all happened. It started with Mark. And when we lost Mark to suicide, he battled depression for years. And he died in a car, but it was no accident. Um, car never left the driveway we don't have to talk about means i don't like to talk about means all i know is mark's not walking in the door right so um i think i'm doing all right i go back to school mark died on a wednesday i went home thursday i was back at school tuesday night and i pretended nothing ever happened and dylan i, I employed some negative coping skills now looking back at my life uh, a little drinking little drugs little anything to put a bandaid on what was a gaping wound and none of that stuff worked. <laughs> and it just, we all were trying it. In fact, 11 years later, my brother, Matt was trying it. He was in chronic pain. He had been involved in a car accident, broke his femur, had a fusion in his back. And we never talked about Mark. So, you know, there's five kids and now Mark's gone. There's four of us. It's me, uh, Sheila, Janice, and Matthew, the youngest. And, and one night, 11 years after we lost Mark, Matthew was drinking, so was I, uh, but he was in Richmond, Virginia, and I was in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and um, in a drunken stupor with access to lethal means, Matt's gone. He followed Mark, and it's off. One is too many. You know, in, in the United States, uh, the last data set we have is 45,979. How do I know that? Because I live this stuff. You know, it, that's the number, and actually, we should be happy with that number because it went down. Mm -hmm. it went down from 47,000, you know, so we're like, Hey, happy day. No, happy day is when that number is zero because one's too many. Ask anybody, you know, and then we had two in the Gillen family, which, you know, absolutely wrecked me. So after, you know, Matt died, I remember driving from New York to Carlisle, Pennsylvania, where I lived four hours. I made a smart decision. I'm not known for my smart decisions, Dylan, <laughs> but this was a smart decision. <laughs> 
just ask anybody around me. I made a very smart decision at that point. I said, you know, I'm going to take a break from drinking because alcohol is a depressant. And some of the folks you coach and some of the folks you talk to uh, deal with this depression, you know, be it, you know, through external uh, means or the environment or some trauma informed depression or a chemical imbalance in your brain that you were born with depression. Uh, it happens. I don't care how you got there, you got there. And uh, what we want to do is get out of there. So alcohol being a depressant is not a good thing to take. And I was pretty, I was, I was like pretty depressed when Matt died. I was a mess when Matt died. It's something about your little brother. It's different. I was a wreck. So I knew I couldn't put gasoline on that fire. So I decided to take a break from drinking. And I had one of those deals with God moment. You ever have one of those conversations? I had a prayer with God that was not fit for the airwaves because all the language I was using. <laughs> I was like, have you? And I was so mad at the time and anger you know, is it, it can be a good uh, emotion, but often not when we get too far carried away. But I was angry and I made a deal with God at the time. I said, listen, my wife and I were um, trying to start a family and we we're having a little bit of difficulty. Uh, she was working on her thyroid and they were checking her out. And um, when they were done checking her out, they're going to turn their attention to me. And I didn't want to go to that office visit. <laughs> As a guy, I was like, you know, let's 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 just fix. So I um I made a deal with God. I said, here's the deal. I'm so mad at you right now. I don't know what you want, but here's what I want. I said, I want a baby. And if we get pregnant, I'll never drink again. So I'm happy to report that my son is 27, and this summer I'll be 28 years sober. A deal is a deal. We're men of we're men of our word. And uh, I made a deal with God. If if we got pregnant, we'll never drink again. When you get pregnant, haven't touched the stuff. Yay me, right? My only, my only, uh, I guess my regret about that is I didn't do that sooner because then I could have saw what Matt was going through because I was drinking with Matthew. You know, I was right there with him. And um, if I would have put the bottle down, maybe I could have seen what he was going through and had a clearer lens. So that, I wish, I wish it was more than 28 years coming up on that July because I know the last night I got drunk. It was the night we buried Matthew. I know that. That date I know because I have the mask card in my wallet. I just have to look at that. It's all right. He died on the 16th. We buried him the 22nd. The last night I got drunk was the 21st. I know that date. So um, I did that. Another smart thing I did, I was still depressed. You know, taking the alcohol out of the equation, Dylan, was a good move. But I still wasn't improving. And then I went and saw a professional. And it's kind of neat that there were two guys talking on this podcast uh, because 79% of all completed suicides are dudes. Those are, those are, that's raw data, 79%. Let that sit in, everybody. Uh, if we round up to 80, which is close because it's like 79.49, I did it this morning for another presentation. If we round it up to 80, Dylan, that's four out of five suicides are guys. Mm -hmm. Dudes, we suck. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. What we suck at is asking for help. What we suck at is emoting and, and telling people I'm not doing so hot. We're the ones that go in the woods and don't come out. We use lethal means. And again, we're not good at it. So um, four to five uh, of, of, of the completed suicides. Now, women in your audience are not off the hook. They have more attempts, three to four times more attempts. So the bottom line is we're all in this together. And we're all in this together. It's 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 the battle for our mental health. I'm in this suicide prevention business. Would love to talk myself out of a job and go upstream and talk about mental health. So that's why I share the fact that I'm sober and I share the fact that I went to see a counselor. Those two things. I don't think I would have shared those years ago, but now, as a mental health advocate, man, that's what I, it's part of my DNA. It is what it is, mm -hmm. and. Um, it's it's benefited me immensely it's allowed me to to live you know it's allowed me to get out of bed it's allowed me to function as a normal citizen of this great you know third rock from the sun it's helped a lot i still miss mark and matt there are days the depression comes on and i just got to do my protective factors and get out of it if, if you ever if you ever call me up dylan and say where's dennis he's in the woods hiking i'm having a bad day and i'm going to go get have a good day i'm going to try something to get out of my head so that's my story. 
the two brothers. I was an accounting business major and all of a sudden I became a mental health advocate. But it wasn't until years later. And you may have one of these and a lot of guys have one of these and even women have one of these. I went in my man cave uh, for years. I, I couldn't talk about it. Dude, I, if someone, someone, I couldn't even say the word suicide. I would start crying. It was awful. Uh, time does heal. And then you get to a point in your life where you're healing, maybe not as fast as you'd like. You know, I, I know some people who lost somebody to suicide and they jump right into the suicide prevention business. It took me 16 years to get off my ass. It took that long. Didn't want to talk about it. And um, you get to a point in the life when you've been through something, you don't want anyone else to go through it. And I think they call it, I'm not a psychologist, a psychiatrist, I think it's called redemptive healing. You want to help others. So you turn around and you look back on the trail you're on and you go, anyone behind you, and you go back there and say, hey, grab my rope, I'll, I'll pull you. So that's what I'm doing now, I think, with this mission I'm on. I started a foundation to help others called the Half Asara Foundation. And it's based on a Swedish proverb, which I love. I don't know where this was my whole life, but I heard it when I was like 50. A shared joy is a double joy. A shared sorrow is half a sorrow. So when I decided to create this foundation, foundation so i could speak to places where normally sometimes they pay me but if they couldn't pay me the foundation would cover the expenses that was the goal still is and um we decided to name it not like the matt mark foundation somebody coached me said don't name it after your brothers so we were searching for a name when we came up with a half a sorrow foundation then we want to half our sorrows and the more you talk about stuff you know the smaller it gets will it ever disappear no no, a half of a half. You're always going to have something, which is fine, which means I, I, you know, I miss my brothers. It's fine. You know, I, I have this sorrow. It, it happened. If the sorrow goes away, I got to check a pulse. You know, the Grim Reaper standing right behind me saying, dude, it's time. <laughs> like, that's not good. Uh, but I miss my brothers and I'm just going to learn how to get through it. I love when people say you need to get over it. That's not going to happen. Never. But we'll get through it. And by on this journey... Uh, I'm on, and I tried to explain this to someone one time. This is, <laughs> I love brevity. You wouldn't know it right now by all this talking I'm doing, but I was trying to explain to this woman what I was doing in my life. And she goes, hey, so you turned your misery into your mission. I'm like, yeah, that. <laughs> Forget that 15-minute diatribe I just went on. That's what I'm doing. I'm trying to go out there and talk about warning signs, risk factors, talk to anybody who will listen to me, uh, that life is worth living. And suicide is not the answer. It's, it's just that simple. You know, it's, uh, we, I think you and I probably see this so, so evidently with how many people we talk to, but I, I don't think, I don't think the lay person always sees everything that we see. They don't see all the information that we collect from having conversations with all the people that hear our message and see our message and then come to us and say, Hey, this is what I'm going through. And I think that we have access to data that they don't, right? And we have access to not only that, but the experience with that data of being able to see, wow, there's a whole lot of people out there that are feeling lonely, right? There's a whole lot of people out there that are feeling, uh, you know, depressed or feeling um, shamed or feeling guilty or feeling regretful, um, you know, and, and it becomes... I feel like it becomes more than just a mission at times, you know, when it, when it becomes, um, you know, certainly, certainly through, through my learning of, of all this, I've become, you know, an influencer and author and all sorts of different things just to do what I'm doing now. Um, and what I've found is it at times, if I wasn't careful, it became a burden, right? It became that almost the same thing in, in reverse, that I had to kind of take a step back and recognize like, whoa, Dylan, like you're, you're taking this to be a mission that is like far too, far too much. And you're no good to people if you can't learn to do the very same thing that you're teaching people, you know? And so it, it almost became, you know, if, if I wasn't careful, and this is something I've recognized about myself, if I wasn't careful, I would fall back into the same habits I had 20 years ago when, you know, when I was struggling through my father's suicide, um, yeah. which ultimately led, led me to nearly my own suicide. And so I've found, 
you know, that the data that I'm collecting and the people that I'm connecting to, I have to be incredibly mindful of how I approach them and how I approach this whole process of helping people. You know, if it's called redemptive healing, that it, so be it. But I, I've had to very much become hyper aware of stepping into that circle and saying, how much of me can I give here? How much of me can I, can I bring to this table without, without, you know, stepping outside of it and saying, you know, I need help for, for the, the, the weight of what I'm dealing with. You know, I think it's, you know, for, for a lot of other jobs, I think it's a little bit different for this one, you know, and, and you tell me if, if you feel this way too, this one feels different. This one, you know, I've done a lot of jobs before. I've done a lot of different things in my life, but this one, um, the weight that carries with our message and our work um, is hard, right? Do you, I mean, you tell me about your experience. How, how do you deal with that? How do you understand that or, or conceptualize that? Well, for one, to deal with it, I smoke a lot of crack. No, I'm kidding. I'm sober, sober. We got that already, sober. No, you're right little humor that's that's one of the ways i deal with it you know almost a dark humor there um it's rough it's it's the classic airplane oxygen mask thing um when the oxygen mask comes down they say put yours on before you help the others you know we got to put ours on and uh you know what we're doing is complex and, and what the people what people are going through is complex too so i think one of the things that helps me out and this is back to live gigs again when i'm in a crowd i get energized not energized by the talk because I know the talk, it's my talk, you know, but I'm energized afterwards by the people that come up to me. And um, one of the things I do, and I'll show it to you, I got it right here. Uh, and you should do this too, Dylan, is I collect some of the feedback that people give me. And I put in a file and I thought, you see how quickly I got it? It's right there. Mm -hmm. And when, um, when I feel like packing it in, or we lose somebody to suicide and we've been trying like heck not to, um, I open up that file and I read the, the little notes from people saying, hey, you know, thanks for coming to my school. Um, you know, I, one of them said, after hearing you speak, I feel normal again. Because everyone thinks they're on an island by themselves. You know, and you go up on stage, you're vulnerable. Like, you know, crap, this happened to me. I didn't want this to happen, but it happened. And how do we prevent future families from going through this? Let's, let's look at risk factors. Let's look at warning signs. That file, helps me out so much. In fact, I wrote about it in a magazine called Entrepreneur. I'm not an entrepreneur. <laughs> I run a small foundation. I'm not an entrepreneur. But this was in the bathroom at work. So one day I was reading it and they had this article called What Inspires Me. And I started thinking about the purple file. So I wrote about it. And there it is in the article, the January issue of Entrepreneur. They ran with my article. Um, and it was really cool because... Jimmy Fallon's on the cover of that January issue, and I'm on page 46. Wait a minute. <laughs> but when, I, when we did this, I got a call from the, you know, the photographer who said she was going to coach me how to take the photo for the magazine. I've never been in a national magazine. Here I am. So she goes, here's what I want. You know, chin down, you know, or the holding the folder. And she coached me through it. And then she said, Dennis, I'm glad they picked your article. I said, why is that? She goes, I lost my mom to suicide. See, the minute you, you, you expose yourself, you'd be amazed how many people come up and say, me too, me too. Sorry, to, yeah, sorry you went through that. So the minute I started talking about my brothers, I, I ran in, the minute I was vulnerable, Dylan, yep. and you too, like sharing about your father and your own personal uh, vulnerabilities. The minute you do that, wonderful people have flowed into my life. So earlier on, you said, you know, uh, I think you used the word simple. It's, it's somewhat complex uh for both sides for us for the person going through it but the minute you break it down and say i you know it happens every time i speak i, I go to leave the building and the first time it happened to me it blew me away i went to leave and there were people lined up to talk to me and i was like me like hell i want to talk. i just want to talk to you and they were lined up it was it was bizarro you know like, all right and I just stuck around. So then I decided, you know, every time I go speak, I have to factor in a couple hours afterwards just to hang out. You know, I thought, you know, I'd just get on my flight and go. No, 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 no. And that's cool. That's, that's actually where the heavy lifting happens afterwards. People come up sometimes in a big hall or something. They won't say something. But afterwards, they'll say something. And 
if they write something into the purple file it goes because you know this Dylan their days done I'm done done and when that day occurs open it up and there you go come on keep going keep going so I recommend fully for you my friend as the weight of the world comes down on you you need a purple file I know there's people out there you've helped I know they've given you compliments write them yeah. down print them out I had one girl on Instagram it was hilarious Here, here's how all my feedback starts a lot of my programs are mandatory when I go to colleges they have to come listen to me speak it's Greek life or the military where you're in they have to come I got a couple of challenge coins here they have to come it's mandatory yep. this, so this one girl starts out her, her feedback was hilarious she said dear Mr. Gillen I didn't want to come hear you speak <laughs> which I always replied like well I didn't want to give the talk either so we're even right <laughs> we are totally cool and then you know, they'll pick up one snippet. This one, the one that this girl I'm thinking about on Instagram, she goes, I, I, was, I was sitting in the back, probably right by the door, waiting for this thing to be over with, right? Who wants to come to a suicide prevention talk? She goes, I heard you talk about sobriety and blah, 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 blah. She goes, now when I get depressed and I feel my mental health sliding, I go through it sober and it's made all the difference in the world. I'm like, wow, some kid in the back who didn't want to be there picked up one little pearl from the talk, one little pearl, and it helped her life. Guess what? That's in the purple file. And when I think about quitting, there we go. There we go. One person out of 300. Take it. Yep. Take it. Yeah. You, I, you know, I've, I've given plenty of my own, my own discussions and it's always been a, you know, in my mind, it's, I'm not speaking to everybody. I'm, I'm trying to find that one person that needs it. And, you know, I've, I've never been, never, I've never been disappointed with that. People, people always do the same to me. They come up to me and have those discussions with me afterwards. I've had, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lowly staff sergeant, right. And I've had, I've been, I've had the honor of having like a first sergeant come up to me and ask me for help. And that like, to me, a first sergeant's, you know, two, three ranks above me. And I, never would have expected that, you know, when I, when I first started this journey, cause I've been in the military for, you know, over 14 years now. Nice. Um, I, I grew up in a military that didn't have that capacity, right? They didn't have the capacity to look from the top down and say, I need your help because you might know something. It was always, you have to look up and, and give, you know, you, you just have to do what you're told, right? We know what's best. And to see, you know, to see how the military is kind of transformed, to see how society, I think, is being transformed as, you know, as culture and social media and, you know, technology is always adapting and growing. I think it's, it's quite remarkable, the direction, but I always, there's still things that are, are a struggle, I think. Um, and I obviously only know what, what, what I see in America, but I'm curious, do you see anything culturally within America that is maybe standing against what you do or what we do? Do you think, do you see anything socially, culturally, politically, economically? I don't care what it is, but do you see anything that is, you know, an obstacle or a challenge or what are you kind of seeing within, you know, the world, the people, the clients, the, you know, the, the people you talk to? that is making what we're doing harder. Sure. The one thing I comment on, and I don't want to brag, that's usually said by someone about the brag. <laughs> I don't want to brag. Then don't. Uh, no, I'm an international speaker. I spoke one time in the country of Panama. So I like to throw that out just, you know, for my own ego. But mostly I'm, I'm a small time player in a small little world. I live in South Carolina. I cover, you know, most of my gigs are in the Southeast. But on a global or USA, America scale, national scale, there is a polarization going on. The left went further left, the right went further right, and a bunch of us in the middle went, what the heck just happened? You know, mm -hmm. and social media gave everybody a megaphone. <laughs> so no matter what opinion, I don't care where you are. Uh, I really don't. I really, really don't care where you are politically. I don't. Um, I lobby all the time for mental health dollars. That's what I care about. Uh, but no matter where you are, you've got this megaphone. 
and people use it. And man, oh man, five minutes on Twitter, my blood pressure's up. Yeah, so mm-hmm. guess what? I'm not going on Twitter for a while. The protective factor. I don't think social media has been kind globally to us because everybody's got the megaphone and I agree with your right to have it, but I don't need to read it all. And to think about this, Dylan, a lot of times I go on there voluntarily. I click on the Instagram. I click on the Facebook. I click on you know, the TikTok. I click on Twitter. And I go on there and voluntarily expose myself to some of this stuff like, wow. So I got to do a better job for Dennis Gillen, just for me, to monitor how much of this I'm taking in. You know, I will go and, and do all this stuff online and read my news and all that stuff. I don't have to read the comments. <laughs> I really don't. I don't need that. I just need the news, please. Let me get out of here. So I'm scaling back in some of my stuff. And it stinks because I'm like a professional speaker. I have to be on some of these platforms to put my message out there in a brand. It's tough to be a brand when I'm doing suicide prevention. I, I found that tough for me. Yeah. Uh, if, if I could punt on all that stuff, I would in a heartbeat. Yeah. I it's, would punt. It's definitely, you know, it's definitely a challenge. And I think, I think just, just thinking about, you know, the entrepreneurship side of things of like, if I want to put my book out there, I can't advertise it because it's a book about suicide. And that means that most advertisers won't allow that to be advertised, which is, you know, when you, when you look at that, it's like, well, that, that makes things a challenge, at least for me. Um, uh, and then also like when you're, you're talking about, uh, talking about, uh, social media and suicide, that's always a, an intricate topic, because if you start on social media, talking about something else, like, like this is how the TikTok algorithm works. At least if you started talking about accounting and then three months later, after making 90 videos, you start talking about suicide the algorithm will probably more than likely suppress you because it's, it's taken your accounting information and what you're, what you're talking about and discussing in terms of accounting and suppress suicide because that, that's an extreme algorithm change. And so that's, that's one thing that I've noticed throughout like my time on TikTok, so spent considerable amount of time on TikTok, um, is that the, the algorithms themselves within social media context very much suppress the idea of suicide whether it's good or bad which is wow. interesting to me see i i i'm i'm so i might be older i might be too old for tiktok i heard someone say it one day she goes your facebook years old <laughs> <laughs> but somebody said i need to be on there i'm like oh great another platform so i recently hired this college intern and uh she's going to introduce me to it yeah well, it's a summer experiment. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, good. I, I did fine without it. I'll do fine without it. Well, if you think about it this way, tick, TikTok is is right now the the platform that has the ability to reach people, right? Mm-hmm. Facebook doesn't because everybody's already there. Instagram doesn't because everybody's already there. Like all of these other platforms that have been there around, you know, they already have everybody. And so everybody's making content. It's easy to make content on those platforms. Um, but TikTok is different, right? Not everybody's on TikTok because of the exactly the reason that you just told me, right? TikTok's weird. TikTok's different. It's another platform, right? That's another. There's a lot of people that feel the same way, which is why they won't create content. And so that means whoever's creating content right now can actually use that and gain followers, get people to see. So it's, it's that platform right now and sooner or later there will be flip-flop, which will take over from TikTok and do the same thing. Yeah. That'd be another one. That'd be another one coming down the pike. I just want to, I just want to win the lotteries and get a flip phone. That's all I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> if you need me, call me. Yeah. But yeah. you know, that's, that's the old fart that I am. TikTok. But you asked the question about social media. We ended up from, from, from everyone being, polarize i think that the polarization mechanism is social media it, I, and i i would i would almost challenge you on that i would say Go it started it. it started long before social media i think it started with um 
you know, because social media really took took hold around 2007, 2008, I would say media itself, news media started that polarization. And I think social media, just the algorithm just followed on the bandwagon of human nature. Fair enough. You're fair enough. If you own the cameras and you own the studio, you own the opinion. You're right. Which, which to me, I look at this and I say, social media does have that, that negative aspect. Absolutely. I a hundred percent agree with you, but what, what social media gives people the ability to do is share in a way that you have the camera, you have the microphone. And that this is the interesting thing about TikTok. And I think TikTok's the most real platform we've seen since forever, right? I think this is the place where people have actually taken a hold and said, I'm going to be the real version of me here or as much as possible. And what that's shown is that things like sexual assault, uh, harassment, um, uh, rape, um, suicide, um, domestic violence, all of these like trauma, all of these things, mental health, all of these things are becoming major topics on a platform, um, a new platform that has never really been been able to take hold on other platforms well yeah there's pros and cons i i know i'm just an old man with my opinion but i I do think there's there are people who went on before me on the ted talk talked about social media and how it helped her Mm -hmm. so i get that too does you know i always think about however you connect with people the the two things that drive what i do is, is hope and social connection and if you derive a social connection from social media good for you yeah if it keeps you on this planet, I'm all for it. Yeah, I'm just an old curmudge and that's all. Hey, kids, get off my lawn. No, <laughs> if it works for you, it works for you. And that is the beauty of being a mental health advocate too, by the way. If someone says a positive thing, I should be an old fart, you know, yelling at the TV and I don't, I don't watch much TV at all. Um, but I, I've come to the realization, you know, wherever you are uh, in this world, whatever works for you to keep you in the right frame of mind works for you and I'm all for it. Yep. So I'm like, all right, that works. You, you find a community there. Uh, the kids who do gaming and they get on Twitch and they all bundle up. Good for you. Right. Good, 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 good. You know, because a stick alone can be broken by a child. A stick in a bundle can't, cannot be broken. That's an old what, Aesop's fable thing. A yeah. stick alone. Our brothers were alone when they broke, you know, right. when they died. But a stick in a bundle, wherever you find your bundle, yep. good. Stay bundled up. So I get you, bro. I could be easily swayed. <laughs> I, I think I, social media has such an interesting situation. I think right now it's, you know, I, it's, it's both good and bad, right? I think everything's both good and bad. Um, and you're absolutely right. That, that social connection is so fundamental for anyone. What's, what's always interesting to me is like the, the people I work with more often than not, it's much easier for them to find people on social media than it is to look at their family and say, Hey, I have an issue. Right. And so this, this family structure, this American family structure that I often, um, I often see, you know, whether it's parenting styles and it's not just American. I I know it's, it's so many different, there's so many different nationalities that struggle with parenting styles to keep children connected to their parents. But it really seems like the last 10 years and even now, we're really struggling to, for, for children to maintain relationships with parents. Um, and, and you're obviously older than I am. How do you kind of look at that process with your children? Um, like, how do you maintain connection with your children versus like having communication, right? Because I, I know from, from my work, communication is a struggle from generation to generation, right? baby boomers and gen x look at millennials like we're the problem or they look at gen z like we're the problem you know and we're looking you know millennials are looking at gen x and baby boomers and there's always this this con- this conflicting you know and converging you know convergence of ideas and thoughts and you know you're a you know you guys are acting like socialists and you guys are acting like fascists and it's always you know, it's always name calling and stuff but Ultimately, you know, in your life, in your experience, in your work, how do you work within that realm and have that connective tissue within the family kind of maintained? 
well, I have two boys and they're, they're awesome. And I do, we do communicate quite often and they're out of the house and they're doing their thing. One just got married and he's, he's doing his thing. In fact, he's in Hawaii as we tape this on his honeymoon. And the other guy, you know, we could do a better job communicating. We, we text a lot, which is a form of communication. So I'll take it. Um, I think this, the struggle you, you, you identified there between the generations, it's funny. I think that's been going on for like ever, you know, when Elvis yeah. Presley came out, that darn rock and roll, these kids and the Beatles came out and grew their hair long. Oh, we're screwed. Every time I go to speak at a college or school, I come home with such a refreshing outlook for the future. Like the kids are going to be okay. They're being kids. Yeah. They're being exactly what I was, you know, dork, the dork that I was at that age. Uh, they're doing everything uh, with the exception of the increased screen time. We, but that wasn't a factor when I was growing up. And, and I'm very I'm thankful. I'm grateful it wasn't we had to go outside and find people <laughs> we had to go outside and play um i do worry about that so we'll go back to that real quick is uh everything in moderation everything including your screen time and um i think the kids are going to be all right every time i go to these colleges and you know they do sometimes do a pre-program or a post-program and we'll sit around and talk they're doing okay they have a lot on their plates covid was not kind to anybody but I think the students got it right on the chin. You know, I've talked to a junior at one college and she said, my freshman year was great. Freshman first semester was great. We went on spring break and we haven't, it hasn't been normal since, you know, <laughs> she's a junior. I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, it's been a rough two years. So uh, they're gonna be okay. But there is a, there's always been the inter intergenerational rub. And as a baby boomer, I love when people go, thanks boomer. I know we did, I'm going to take it one for the team here. We did leave the place uh, and we're going to leave the place less orderly than we found it with your debt and all that stuff. <laughs> we're not leaving all the, all the planet screwed. We are, we're, we're not good stewards. I'm going to take one for the boomers. Uh, we could have done a better job, but in the end, my, I still have a, a bright outlook and all it takes for me to get that outlook is to go out and see these kids and to go out and talk to them. And I, I just feel better when I'm around them. I spoke at a, uh, uh, a church on Sunday, and then I went and spoke to a Christian school the next day. And it doesn't matter if it's Christian or not. They're just kids. They're like, you know, I think I had seventh through 12th graders. And they cracked me up. They were awesome, um, especially the kids in the front row. They were having a good time. But they, it was good. And every time I walk out of the building, I'm like, oh, we're going to be all right. We're going to be okay. Yeah. They may not have any Social Security, but they're going to be all right. <laughs> I, I think what's 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 great about this is that there's there's recognition on on in two directions from you, right? Of you're willing to look at yourself and say, my generation could have done a better job, and you're also willing to look at my generation and generations beyond me and say, you guys are working hard and trying to figure this out just like we were when you know we were going through your own you know adversities, and I think. I think that's certainly more people could use that, you know, that, that freshness of perspective of the ability to, to look at it from both directions. I think oftentimes we get locked in this, you know, this, uh, this visceral feeling of like, you guys did this to us. Um, and I certainly, my, my generation does the same thing of, we look back and we're like, you guys taught us to do this. Right. And, and, you know, we, we tend to then blame, um, but I love that you're that you have the ability to do both of recognizing your own place and how people are also adapting and improvising and surviving in, in some regards. And I, I think that's incredibly important. I, I think that's incredibly um, a powerful place to be. And I think it really comes from what you do because, you know, your ability to have conversations with people that have differing perspectives than you is remarkably important for that perspective to take, to take place. I think that's needed. you know, I think if there's any lesson we learn from what you and I do, that's, that's profound because when we really have these discussions around mental health, you realize that, you know, when, when parents are teaching their children, they're very much learning how to live life themselves, you know? And I think, you know, when you, when you look back on your, on your parents, um, because that's such a, 
heavy topic today um, in, in many regards, it, it's really hard to give any empathy to parents that were abusive or mm. um, destructive or self-destructive even. Um, and it's, it's rare to step out of that and say, I, I can give you, I can forgive you. That doesn't mean I'm going to forget everything you've done, but I am going to forgive you because I don't need to hold that negativity within myself. You know, that's a, that requires um, a lot of perspective. Some parents will uh, give you an example of what not to do. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, you know uh, I'm Irish Catholic and we've, alcohol's part of our culture. And all of a sudden yeah. I decided to not drink, you know, it's, it stops with me. And for all your listeners, all the intergenerational stuff we talked about, Dylan, life is hard, no matter what generation you're in. It yeah. just is. Yep. It's brutal. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. I don't care. Boomer, millennial, Gen X, whatever you are now. Gen Z, it's hard. So let's 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 operate from that. Life is hard. Right. And you know, there was a song that came on the other day and it said something about joy in the chaos. And for some reason in my head it popped in it, it, this bumper sticker and I ordered some this morning. I made them up. It's called Enjoy the Chaos. Because life is chaotic. It just is. Show me someone who's got a normal life. Right. <laughs> what's, what's normal at this point, right? Yeah, what's normal? It's not normal. So it's chaotic. All right. Everybody listening, is your life chaotic? Yeah, it's a little chaotic. Let's enjoy it. Because yeah. in the bottom, the bottom line is here, we got about 80 years on this planet, eight decades. What's the average? 76.1, whatever it is, the average lifespan. Uh, some above, some below. Um, that's short. Especially when you're my age, you're looking down. I'm on the downhill slide. It's short. Yeah. Uh, so enjoy the chaos. That's my new motto. And what I'm doing with all these mottos and stuff, I'm trying to trick my brain. My brain's bad to me. You know, my brain is my worst critic, right? If I screw up Dylan, you screw up. No one's harder on Dylan than Dylan, yeah. right? No one's harder on Dennis than Dennis. So what I'm trying to do is retrain this. And all right, come on, Dennis, come on. You got this. I'm trying to treat myself like the old adage, treat yourself like a child. If I screw up, I'm brutal on myself. But if my son screws up, I try to coach him up a little bit as a parent. Go ahead, not your finest moment. We can do better. You know, give him that kind of talk. But boy, oh boy, if I did the same thing, I'd be like, you idiot, you suck, you know, talking mm -hmm. to me. So I'm starting to do this whole thing. And this is my new, my new thing. I'm on my new kick. I'm on Dylan. Treat myself like a child. Mm -hmm. I talk to myself now like I would talk to one of my sons. Yeah. Internally. I, I, I know. I know that, you know, I, I started, you know, back in like 2013 for me, I, I tore my ACL. Um, and that's the first time I've ever like heard anything about uh, neuro-linguistic processing. Um, so I just still remember this to this day. Uh, I walked into this little classroom in Fort Knox, like tiny. I think you could probably fit 12 people in desks in there. Um, and we fit like 15 to 20. Um, mm. So it was super cramped. And I just remember this huge, huge black dude. I, I don't remember his name. I don't remember like anything about him. I just remember this big black dude walks in and I'm just like, holy cow, I'm sitting there with a big knee brace on because um, I'm recovering at Fort Knox at the time. And this guy just starts talking about self-talk. And it was just like the conversation that I did not expect, you know, wow. talking about, you know, how to really be positive and how to create, you know, or like an affirmation that's productive for you. And, and, diving into the science of, of self-talk and how this actually applies to you, right? Not just like, not just giving me the bullshit speech, like really sitting with us and, and walking us through this. And I just like, from that moment forward, that was when I started really paying attention to the words that I speak, you know, and just like you're talking about speaking to yourself, like a child, like that guy really taught me how to pay attention, right? It was just that self-awareness for the first time of like man this like these words matter right not not just the words i'm speaking the words i'm thinking matter almost more than the words i'm speaking and if i don't pay attention to these they're going to hurt me but i didn't recognize that part until three years later when i was you know in my darkest place um but that's where it started and i still remember that like still remember that guy i wish i wish i could even find out who that was but it was such a, it was such a moment of like an epiphany for me of 
self-awareness. And I, I, I didn't recollect how important it was until about 2015 when things kind of started all falling into, into place where I, I'm here now, right? I, I came to this point of like really giving value to words um, and how important they are. Not only that, but then crafting those words into a narrative and a story um, and the ability to expose that story, not only to other people, but myself. How do I share it? How do I speak it? How do I, do I look at it from a positive standpoint? Do I share it from a, a positive standpoint or do I share it in a place where um, you know, it undermines me and undercuts my ability to appreciate myself. You know, I, I, I try to, I try to do the best I can. I know sometimes I can be sarcastic and, and a bit sassy with my stories, but, uh, at, at the same time, I always try and think for myself and understand, you know what, I need to be more appreciative of how I actually work through this and how I overcame this and give myself a little bit of forgiveness and fact that i did i just didn't fucking know you know no yeah you did the best you could with what you knew at the time that's why i always say to myself i did the best i could with what i knew at the time yeah looking back i would totally do it differently and when you were talking about that you know the, the voice inside our head there i forgot where i read it there's a study that says all right if i think in my head dennis you're an idiot dennis you're an idiot it's like 10 times worse if i say it out loud mm -hmm. neural linguistic if i say dennis you're an idiot it's worse. Yep. So don't say it out loud. If, you, if, you're, if your listeners are out there right now, just say, listen, maybe you can't turn off that voice, but don't verbalize it. Yeah. Don't say it out loud. We'll take baby steps and then we'll work on changing it. You know, Dennis, not your finest moment. You can do better. It's just as good as Dennis. You're an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if you've ever heard of Trevor Mawad. Um, he, I think he died either last year or the year before from cancer. Um, but he wrote a, a book called It Takes What It Takes. And he was talking about negative thoughts, right? Not even negative, uh, negative speech, but negative thoughts are seven times more powerful than positive ones. So obviously you can kind of do the math of you're going to have to do a lot more positive to, uh, you know, undermine the, the foundation of a negative thought pattern. Um, and so what he, what he kind of, uh, purports is you can't just put a car from reverse to drive, right? You have to go to neutral. So if, if there's anything you do, don't go, don't go for positive. Just don't do the negative. Don't share the negative, right? Don't focus on the negative. When you recognize it, you say, I don't have to make this a bad thing, right? And I don't have to make it a good thing. I just don't have to create, you know, a pattern of, of sorts to, make this the worst thing in the world or anything like that. You know, it's, it's certainly still a challenge, but you know, it's, it's important to recognize that we can't just go from reverse to drive. We have to find a neutral point where we can create that foundation of this is neither for me, it's, this is neither good nor bad, right? Maybe it's both, right? Or maybe it's just neutral. Maybe it's just nothing. Maybe it's something, but I don't have to determine right now. And I'm probably not very good at it of determining what the value of it is right now. Because if I look at it right now, it's probably a bad thing. But if I look at it 12 years from now, it might be the best thing ever. You know, I like to think that's awesome. Term. Find the neutral guy. I, I was taking notes while you're writing that. I was writing that down for me, an issue of self-preservation. I have fake arguments in my head with people. I'm like, they're yeah. not even happening. Yeah. I'm making these scenarios up and I get home and it's not, it's like, 180 degrees what I thought it was like oh forget it yep. but I had that whole scenario in head I building up my defenses and it nothing happened and yep. I went I went negative big time so uh, I gotta get the neutral that's what I wrote down get the neutral yeah I, I love I he's you know Trevor Mawad was was one of those people that when I first read his book I was just so it was profound, you know, and it's, it's a beautifully written book. His, his father was a, a motivational speaker. He became a, um, I think a, a performance coach um, and even coached uh, Russell Wilson. Um, oh yeah. But he, he, I don't think he told anybody about his cancer um, before he died. Um, and, and so he, he died quite suddenly as, you know, for his fans at least. Um, but he was one of those people that, 
you know, he was big, but he was, he was someone that at his, you know, at his level of, of fame was still willing to share his thoughts with people and respond to people. He responded to a couple of my, a couple of my comments and messages on his his Instagram, which was, you know, for me, it's really cool. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I just, I feel for him, you know, he was, uh, I think he was a great human being, um, had a lot of good things to say. And I, I always recommend his book. Well, I wrote it down too. Yeah, <laughs> I got some. Re- I, get, I, do, I come on a podcast. I got a homework assignment. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it! I like to. I like to make things interesting in my podcast, and I think uh, sure. the Dylan experience is not just an experience for the audience. I think it's also experience for guests. <laughs> Thank you. Of course. Thanks for making that happen. Absolutely. So, so Dennis, what are you? What are you working on now? where are you going now? I know we had talked about, you know, we had talked about the camel hat club before, um, before we started this. So tell me a little bit about that. Tell me where you're going from this point on. Oh, sure. I'm, I'm doing a lot of work with the foundation and we're working on programming. And one of the programs we just recently came up with and for the listeners out there who are listening um, and cannot see us, we're doing a zoom call right now, but Dylan's wearing a camouflage hat at the moment as he always does. <laughs> yeah. And um, if you've seen him, you know the hat. And I commented on it because I'm starting the thing now. It's called the Camo Hat Club. And it's for men because men, as we talked about, represent a high percentage of the suicides. And we tend to camouflage our emotions. So a bunch of guys, this is where it started. I went through a divorce and I moved an hour and a half away. I might as well move to China because an hour and a half away, all my support systems were gone. But I, I started in a new town in Greenville, South Carolina. And I met a couple of guys in my building that are about my age. And we decided one day, let's go out to breakfast. Let's get off. You know, I was working out of my apartment, small, and I work from home. I'm like, oh, I got to get out. These walls are closing in on me. I, I was dark after the divorce and my apartment was dark. I'm like, I got to get out of here. Uh, I was self-aware of knowing that I needed to change my environment. So I rented these guys downstairs. Let's go get breakfast. We started this thing up. We go to breakfast. We now go the first Thursday of the month. It still goes on. And we even survived COVID. We would go during COVID because I live in South Carolina and we pretended COVID never happened. <laughs> yeah, I can COVID, <laughs> COVID, COVID did not know South Carolina's borders. <laughs> it couldn't come in here. It, it didn't know where we were. So we, uh, we kept it going and um, we just met this week. And what we started doing is I said, guys, start bringing camouflage hats because we're going to call it the Camo Hat Club. And I want this thing to go out. So all your listeners, it just takes, you know, a spark to start a forest fire. I need some guys to start doing this and then send me the photos because one, I have to prove that the trademark is being used. So camo hat club is out there. And two, the real benefit is to those guys you get together with. Now we all have people, literally neighbors that we haven't seen in a while because, you know, life's too busy. So these guys, no matter what we do the first Thursday, and it's not that complex. I'm not creating a program for guys that, you know, we need officers. It's a three-year commitment. No, we send out a text the Wednesday before and say, hey, who's coming to breakfast tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Yep. Same place, same time, same month. And we go. And we just check on each other. And especially at my age, as you get older, you tend to lose friends. And you're going to see, Dylan, as, as you grow and your family grows, you'll, you'll know people from your kids' group. You'll know, like, but who's your group? Right. Who's your people? So we did that. Uh, I started a Bible study years ago with friends of mine. I'm trying to keep this out of that realm. This is just a touch point. If you believe in God, you should be doing a Bible study on your own. That's my thought. This is different. This is just a touch point. Because remember, when I'm dealing with people that are in desperation or hopeless, they might be mad at God. I was at one time. I get it. So it's just a touch point. There's no agenda. There's no social, you know, like there's no uh, social committee. We're doing this. We're going to go pick up litter by the highway. No, we're just going to have breakfast. What I will ask of the group, if you do Camel Hat Club, this is the one caveat I will ask. You will go around the table and say, guys, how's your mental health? That's all. It's a touch point. And I remember one time where I was in a group and I, I don't know, this guy showed up out of nowhere. I'm like, what is this guy doing in my group? And he had just, he had gone through a divorce and I was going through a divorce. I'm like, well, now I know why he's here. He's here to help me. I had questions for him. 
you know, I had a lot of questions for him. So everyone gets put in your path for a reason, but I will ask the group to do that. If we're going to kick this thing off, you have to ask one question. Everybody has your mental health. And you know what guys are going to say? We're, we're such dorks. We go, fine. fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. No, but every now and then someone will go, you know what? Like I did, you know what? I'm going through a divorce. I'm not doing so hot. And then someone goes, well, I went through what's, what's going on, you know, and someone will relate to you. Yeah. I hope you'll get to a point where you're comfortable with your group. So, you know what? I got some shit going on and I don't know what to do. What would you guys do if you're me? Yeah. That's what I'm hoping. The camo hat club. And then we're doing other stuff like the purple file. That's another program. I'm going to roll that out because it's benefited me and I want it to benefit others. And I, I man, the minute I told that story uh, to one person, he goes, well, I'm getting one, you know, so people will do it. And Dylan, I expect you to have one, by the way, because you're helping people I, all yeah. the time. You know, I have, I have a folder. It's not purple because it's on, it's on the, you know, it's on the computer webs. However, however you want to look at that. It's in the cloud. Um, I'll have to look and see if I can make it purple. Do that for me. Or <laughs> just call it the purple file. You'll know, you put it on your desktop, the purple file. No one will know what it is or what's in there. Just trust me. It's my, my stuff. No, I think it's, I think it's a, I think both of those are fantastic ideas. I, I already love the, um, I, I've, I, when you, when you told me about the purple file, I, I loved it. I, I already kind of do it. I don't do it with the, probably the vigor uh, or the, you know, the emphasis that you, you probably do. Um, but I probably should, you know, in, in many, many regards, I probably should. Um, I love the camel hat club. I think that's a phenomenal idea. And I, it gives me so many ideas of like, just, you know, one thing that I've struggled with is, is kind of cutting out time, especially with COVID. Cause I started my whole business and my whole structure and, and infrastructure of what I'm doing now during COVID um, I literally started wow. my business March 3rd, 2020 and 10 days later, lockdown. Right. And I'm like, yep. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do now? Right. Like pivot, pivot, pivot. And so, you know, I've, I've really been wanting to like one um, do book signings. I, I wanted to do kind of um, just get togethers of like, you know what? Hey, even if it's in my hometown, I should probably do it more, but um, you know, Hey, I'm having a, a lunch or a dinner or a breakfast or something like that of, you know, you come join me, right. I'll be here for free. You know, you can buy your own food, but other than that, yeah. We're, oh yeah, we're we buy here, our own food, you know, yeah. um, I think that's, that's just something to bring the community together and bring people together that obviously find me safe, um, which I think is what, what ultimately your goal is of making the camo hat club is eventually the people that come start to realize that this is a safe place, you know, like, Hey, I've got, I've got something dark and deep to share. I know you guys have talked about it before, but I've never felt like I could. And so now I am now I'm feeling like I can, because, you know, you guys have, have earned my trust. I've, I've watched you guys talk about this stuff for a long time. And I think that's, that's like a form of interdependence that I, I, every community needs, right? Every, Oh, we need it. Every Back society it needs, right? Today, yeah. um, because, you know, whether you're young or old, like you need people that are courageous enough or willing enough to talk about topics like we talk about um, and to, to step out of line of, you know, the suffering silence and the I'm fine and I'm good um, and say, you know what, I'm not good. And I could really use some advice. I can use some help. I could use some guidance here. How did you guys do it? Yeah. And, and that's, you're right. Over time it comes through. And some of these guys actually, you know, I didn't know them that well, but when I moved apartments, they came to help me move. I mean, <laughs> stuff, stuff, stuff like that. Like, yeah. dang, I, I don't know. I'm sitting there going, how am I going to get this couch out that door? And here comes two guys from the, from the breakfast club going, Hey, we're here. I got an hour. Good. Yeah. Let's take this couch out, you know, stuff like that. So that's been a real big thing. And also I got a little children's book coming out. I can't write a cool book like you. I got to write, I got to start small. I got to do a children's <laughs> book. <laughs> See Dick run. <laughs> no. um, it's based on a true story that this kid told me at the university of Delaware. When I spoke at some schools, I bring kids up to speak with me. Mm -hmm. Like I'll say, Hey, listen, you get tired of hearing me speak. Let's bring one of you up. 
and we vet them beforehand. We do a lot of practice and they come up and they tell their story. And this kid told the story. I'm like, wow. So literally Dylan, four years later, I called him up and said, I can't let that story go. And I'm thinking about a children's book and I can't do it without you because it's your story. Are you in? And he said, oh yeah. Because I told him I'll pay for it. <laughs> He's still in college. Like, yeah, I'll pay for it. Okay, I'm in. Um, so we have a children's book coming out, how a compliment, a, a, a well-placed compliment changed his life. A well-timed good word That's set awesome. him on a path instead of suicide. He went home with a happy feeling when he was in middle school. And he told that story and I was on stage. I'm sitting there going, how the hell do I follow that guy? <laughs> it's awesome. So that's coming out. A child with a story. A good story is, is yeah. powerful. It is. And it's, 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 it's and the audience ate it up. And uh, it's true, though. Like he's having a bad day and one kid says something nice to him. That's back to your, you know, your negative thoughts for positive, the ratio that's off. A lot of negative, a lot of negative, but it was that one positive that happened to him. He left the building on a positive note and he did not die by suicide because he's here today. Yeah. You know, it's, what's interesting about that is um, I imagine you have said a lot of positive things to a lot of people in your life. And I hope you, I hope you remind yourself daily just outside of the purple file of just how much you do good for people well thank you for that i do need to hear that believe it or not because i do like everyone else i crush myself some days like i can yeah. do better there's more i could do i got a whiteboard over there full of stuff i'm not even halfway through with it you know like i know uh, one person you know so thank you because it again harsh critics yeah. dennis gillen is a harsh critic on dennis gillen so yeah. thank you dylan i appreciate that absolutely well dennis i think i think we should wrap this up with uh with one more question I think you know what's coming. Um, I hope you've prepared yourself because it's 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 an important question. Um, if there was one message you could leave the world, Dennis, what would it be? It's going to be short and it's going to be sweet. It's going to be life is worth living. That's it. But it may not feel like it now. But I don't want you to throw out your best ally. Your best ally is time. When Matt died, I didn't feel very well. I was doing awful. Fast forward today, I'm doing okay. Life is good. So life is worth living. And uh, when I speak to the younger folks, sometimes their suicides are impulsive because their pediatric brain is not fully formed somewhere about mid-20s, right? So they're impulsive. Girlfriend broke up with me. You know, I didn't make the football team. I'm out. Um, as you get older, it's layers, you know, financial, relationship you know, job, blah, 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 blah. and just how much can a person take with all that going on? I'm going to come back to that one message still with all that going on. Life is worth living. And I remember uh, one day I pulled over on the side of the road and I'm just standing there and someone came out. You're right. I said, I'm fine. I'm just watching the sunset. Cause I, I drove by this road all the time and there was a lake and the sun was going down. Like how many times I drive by there? Oh, that's nice. I just pulled over. Like, let me just enjoy this. And I think that comes, that appreciation comes from suffering. I suffered a lot in my life with the loss of my brothers. And so is so of your listeners, so of you, Dylan. And when you suffer a lot, you appreciate the good shit. So here comes the sunset. I pull my car, I'm like, you know, I'm going to sit in this guardrail. I'm watching that damn thing. It's going to take me all of what, 15 minutes? It goes behind. I'm like, all right, get back in the car. We're no worse for the wear. I'm late for dinner, but I got to see something really cool. So life is worth living in. It's in the valleys that you grow. And, if, if, and we need those valleys, believe it or not, because they, they make us appreciate the mountaintops. If everything were mountaintops, <laughs> it'd be a plateau and we wouldn't know the difference. So a long answer with a short line that life is worth living, but I think you know where I'm going with that. Yep. Beautifully put, Dennis, and I greatly appreciate it. Uh, what is the best place to, to get in touch with you? And yeah, go for it. Since I'm old, send a carrier pigeon. No, <laughs> with a note. No, uh, here's the deal. I, I mean, I'm in between websites. I have two really cool websites. The first one is my name, dennisgillen.com, B-E-N-N-I-S-G-I-L-L-A-N.com. I like that website. But I'm moving to the foundation website, which is halfasaro.org, because I feel like this mission is bigger than me. When I first started out speaking, 
Like, what's your website? DennisGillen.com. Hey, think much of yourself, buddy? I do. Um, it is. I love that website. It got me a lot of business, but I think now I'm moving towards this. And hopefully there's a legacy here. I can hire people and someday this half a Sara foundation will live on. Yeah. I like DennisGillen.com and I still do gigs under that. I love that website. I have safety plans on there. That, that's a good website. But either one of those will work. DennisGillen.com or halfasaro.org. And we'll have we'll have both of those in the in the show notes so people can click those, go right to them. By the but, way, what's your website's name? Uh, mine's DylanSessler.com. You're just as creative as I was. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's the <laughs> it works though, right? It's it's what I've got for myself, right? It's me. It's, it's the it works. Way. Right. I was laughing because I'm looking at it right now. I, that was yeah. a softball question. It's, it's, it's awesome. I love DennisGillen.com. No one else has it. Yep, absolutely. You know, it, if you're going to look me up, you know, you know how to find me, you know, but uh, Dennis, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your thoughts and your words. Um, and I, I greatly appreciate them. And for anyone still listening, please go check out his websites. Uh, go check out his work. Go check out his TED talk. I think it was great. Um, and We'll catch you next time on the Dylan Experience. Thank you, Dylan, for having me. I appreciate it.